Very happy to welcome back Dr. Daniel Veladuarte, who joins us here again on ESPN West Palm tonight. Dr. Veladuarte is a neurointerventionalist with the Palm Beach Neuroscience Institute, a neurology practice in West Palm Beach, Florida. Dr. Veladuarte specializes in detection and endovascular treatment of brain aneurysms and acute ischemic stroke, as well as arteriovenous malformations in the brain, spinal angiography, tinnitus, and increased intracranial hypertension. Dr. Veladuarte is board certified in general neurology and vascular neurology with the American Board of Psychiatry and Neurology, and he is on staff at St. Mary's Medical Center and Del Rey Medical Center. And again, Dr. Veladuarte was with us last week and is back once more to continue our discussion about stroke care and stroke prevention. And I want to start this conversation Doctor, like we did the last by talking about Pittsburgh Penguins defenseman Chris Letang, who has continued to play in the NHL despite strokes in 2014 and a more recent one in 2022. And in 2014, it took Letang a few months to return to the ice. But in 2022, he was back playing in just 12 days after what was considered a minor stroke. Dr. Veladuarte, what does the timetable look like for stroke recovery and how much can it vary on a case-by-case basis? So I'd like to introduce to your question, I'd like to introduce the concept of brain health. And that's something that we don't really understand yet very well. Um, why brain health is important to answer this question about why Latang recovered so well. Because your brain health, our brain health, my, my brain health may be just different based on genetic factors, based on race, based on um, diet, based on exercise. And so sedentarism, people who do not exercise, they may not recover as well as those, as, as those that are fit sure. or fitter. Um, the, the younger the patient, the higher t- perhaps the probability of recovering from, from a devastating lesion, either ischemic or, you know, the lack of oxygen or, uh, or, or a brain bleed, hemorrhagic. Uh, it's, in general, it's, it's important to remember that the early initiation of physical therapy and rehabilitation, it's associated to the, 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 the higher um, likelihood or, or probability of recovering. So anytime we have patients hospitalized, admitted, after having treated them for a stroke, we advocate, we, we advocate, we, we push forward to initiate physical therapy, ambulation, anything possible to, to promote, promote movement in the ICU, in the intensive care unit, because the longer they stay in bed, the longer they get, I'm sorry, the, the, the faster they get the condition. Mm-hmm. So there are ICU or intensive care units in, in certain universities, for example, where you see all these patients with tremendous amount of drips and, and lines everywhere, but they ambulate around the ICU. That's been uh, facilitated in certain environments where, of course, it's safe. Um, so it's initiating. Like the, the key message here is that initiating rehabilitation as soon as possible after the lesion, it's, it's key for recovery. We have to understand that he's, he's a young. When that, when that happened to him, he 
it was a certain at a certain age that mm. where there's brain capacity, brain reserve from this uh, um, whole gamut of possibilities, right? It's not going to be the same when we have a patient in their late 70s or early 80s. Uh, it's not going to to recover as well as a as a young patient. Sure, of course. Although there are there are some exclusions here. You know? mm -hmm. I, we we have treated patients in their 90s and like even hundreds. Where there's the, the the chances of recovering are pretty good, um, the there's certain plasticity that is it's hard to prove, but you're you're surprised that some people recover very well, some people don't, and um, there are alternate pathways, arteries that take over and continue supplying the the affected brain, continue supplying nutrients and, and oxygen to that damaged area, and they they do well. There are some, some patients that have risk factors, cholesterol, smoking, other things that decrease that brain capacity, decrease that brain reserve over the years. So when they, when they suffer a, a trauma or a brain bleed or stroke in this case, they don't, they're not going to recover well because that brain capacity has been diminished over the years thanks to, to, to not addressing all those risk factors. Here on ESPN West Palm tonight with Dr. Daniel Veladuarte, neurointerventionalist with the Palm Beach Neuroscience Institute, and he is also on staff at St. Mary's Medical Center and Delray Medical Center. And Dr. Veladuarte, we talked last week about how some issues that lead to stroke are congenital. They're, they're hereditary. You get them from your parents. But what are the things that people can do to lower their risk of stroke that they can again, uh, you know, do on their own accord. This is this is a topic that we have touched on for for years. Addressing diet, the there it, there are several manuscripts in the literature and proven research um, where the Mediterranean diet certainly decreases the risk of dementia, and and it's useful as well. In, in, in vascular health. It keeps your arteries healthy, your, your heart healthy. Um, following this, this type of diet has demonstrated benefits. Exercise, the body is a beautiful machine, but if you do not take care of that machine, it deteriorates faster. And you can put two patients of, of the same age, the one that has taken care of their body compared to the one that has not. And you can tell the difference in their brain, in their muscles, in their bone density, for example, in the, the agility that they have. So it's a very simple message. Mobility a little bit every day, exercising, a good diet, avoiding uh, fried food, sure. smoking. This is a conversation that we, we have with patients every single day, on and on. Why? Because the amount of toxins that are in the cigarettes, tobacco, and smoking is, is uncountable. We don't even know how many substances they inhaled. And for some reason, those chemicals, those toxins, they love to accumulate within the, the structures of the arteries. They promote faster accumulation of the, of the fats, the, the lipids, or the, all those fats that, that we have circulating in our bloodstream. And they ended up um, basically narrowing arteries, making them stiffer. 
their atherosclerosis or, or uh, buildup of cholesterol inside our, our arteries is one of the most common mechanisms for stroke. So if, if the patient smokes, that atherosclerosis, or again, accumulation of fats in the, in the arteries, is going to be absolutely faster. In aneurysms, we see that the, the risk of having the aneurysm rupture is much, much higher in those smoke in, in patients who smoke. Mm. The patients who get stents, all the, those, those devices that we deploy and, and implant inside the arteries to keep the, the artery open, those devices will, again, narrow down the road if the patient keeps on, on smoking. So it's, it's a battle. Um, it's something that patients battle with. It's not easy to quit. I, I counsel, I help patients telling them and acknowledging that it's just not saying that you have to st stop smoking. Sometimes you need help. Sometimes you need several attempts, but you have to make it after the third or the fourth or even the seventh attempt mm -hmm. uh, and decrease the, the risk of, of all the uh, associated conditions that smoking brings to you. A couple more things here with Dr. Daniel Veloduarte from the Palm Beach Neuroscience Institute, where he specializes in detection and endovascular treatment of brain aneurysms and acute ischemic stroke, as well as arteriovenous malformations in the brain, spinal angiography, tinnitus, and increased intracranial hypertension. Dr. Daniel Velduarte and I are continuing a conversation that we started last week about stroke care and stroke prevention. And again, something you did mention last week when we talked about the advancements of stroke care, and I was hoping you could just go over this a little bit again, um, is thrombectomy, and, and just again, touch on that once more. So thrombectomy is the indicated treatment to remove clots in the brain. Um, it's the, the fastest way we have to address stroke when, when there is an occlusion or a blockage of an artery. It's only offered at certain centers, and not, not every hospital will have the trained physicians to perform these procedures and the equipment to offer the patients um, such a complex therapy or minimally invasive surgery, if you, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So it is important to recognize that patients with a stroke who start having symptoms have to be taken to the appropriate centers. And, and the, what is an appropriate center? It's a hospital where we have all the capabilities, a comprehensive stroke center where, where there is a physician, a neuroendovascular surgeon, a neurointerventionalist, 24 hours available for these type of emerging procedures where the patient gets to the hospital, imaging gets done, and the patient is rushed into a sort of a, uh, an OR to start the procedure in less than an hour, or hopefully less than an hour. Once the, the, there is confirmation of, of having a clot, then we start the procedure. We, we try to um, reestablish that blood flow to the, to the affected artery as soon as possible in, in 20 minutes, sometimes less than that, um, less than 30 minutes. And then um, the, the care that a patient with a stroke or with rupture aneurysms, brain bleed, requires, it's only at, at, at these type of complex medical centers because we have um, 
critical care nurses that are trained to 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 recognize complications of proceed of the of the condition uh, neurointensivist we have all the nurse surgery and neurointerventional team um, all the technology call it blood work imaging available some smaller hospitals would not be able to offer these therapies and you waste time going to taking someone by the by, by their car instead of just calling 911 because that patient gets to the smaller hospital, they recognize the disease, then they have to transfer, and transfer can take one hour, two hours, who knows. So that's the importance of, of, of taking the patient to the appropriate mm-hmm. comprehensive stroke center. Again, wrapping things up with Dr. Daniel Velo Duarte, neurointerventionalist with the Palm Beach Neuroscience Institute, and he is also on staff at St. Mary's Medical Center and Del Rey Medical Center. And Dr. I was wondering, what, what other types of neurological care do you provide besides stroke treatment? And I was wondering if you could touch on your interest and specialty in the treatment of tinnitus. So that's, that's a great topic. It's, it's absolutely interesting. Tinnitus. So what is tinnitus, Cyrus? Um, tinnitus is, or tinnitus, I always wonder what's the, the right <laughs> way to say it. Um, it's, a, it's a high-pitch sound that the patient hears in their, in their ears. And, and even they can hear it when they sleep, when they're in, in absolute silence. Hmm. It's a subjective, well, sometimes it's subjective, sometimes it's, it's objective, like it's, uh, it's loud that you can hear it. It's a subjective feeling, like own feeling of having a, a, a ringing sound, like a high-pitched sound, or, or sometimes a buzzing just bothering you in, inside your head. And, and, there, and it has many causes, but one of the, the possibilities that, that we sometimes we encounter is actually narrowing of, of the veins. So the veins drain all the, the waste products, you know, to put it in nice terms, waste products of the brain. The, all the blood that has delivered oxygen and nutrients once again. And if the outflow, if your pipes that are supposed to drain all that, that, those waste products are narrow, then you're going to have congestion of all those, those waste products. And the body, the, the vasculature, your vessels in the brain keep, keep pushing to overcome the resistance where the narrowing is. And that's what causes, and the constant passing of blood flow through that narrow segment in the vein can cause the, the, the high pitch sound. That's one possibility. Sometimes there are patients that have vascular malformations and back, back to one of the types of one of the of the types of a stroke abnormal connections between veins and arteries and the intermixing of blood from the from the arteries and blood from the veins will cause turbulence and that explains the, the high pitch sound sometimes interesting so bottom line is that most of the time tinnitus has to be evaluated first by, by uh, an ENT doctor or ear, nose, and throat type of physician to rule out inner causes or, or uh, uh, problems of the inner ear, of the apparatus that we have to, to, to interpret and, and, and hear sounds, right? If there's nothing with that, then it's a, it's a, it's a mission for the neurointerventionalist to do one of these studies that we do, that they're called angiograms, and see if we encounter one of these malformations or if we see on the images narrowing of the veins and of course then 
there's a there's a, a whole discussion on on how to treat it, if it needs to be treated. The quality of, of life of patients with tinnitus, it's it's certainly it, it can get miserable. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's it doesn't stop. Um, sometimes it's intermittent. Sometimes it's positional. Um, sometimes it's louder. Sometimes you know there are patients with with tinnitus that that they have thought of. of Taking their life because it's it's unbearable. Yeah, yeah, I can I cannot so imagine. Venus, sure. Venus um, diseases or or uh, Venus conditions, conditions that affect the veins in the brain and the spine, are also some of our interests as neurointerventionalists. Got it. And yeah. there's been awareness about all these conditions lately in the last five years. Increased intracranial pressure. Um, from from uh, associated with, of course, intractable headaches. Patients that have have been labeled as migraineurs, they have had several trials of different migraine medications, and uh, it's not a migraine; is an increase or an increment in the in the in the pressures that are inside the veins, inside the skull, inside your brain. And that's why the the the, the headache is so severe. Right, and so. Then the, what's the cause? One of those narrowings again in the in the veins. How do you treat it? Well, you have to alleviate, mm -hmm. get rid of that narrow segment in the artery. Got it. So that's another conversation. But in general, other conditions that we neurointerventionally treat: stroke aneurysms, rupture aneurysms, vascular malformations, not only of the brain, also in the spine. The spine is part of the of the central nervous system, and it has an exquisite complex venous and arterial anatomy. Um, and so there, sometimes there are vascular malformations that will affect the spinal cord. It will swell up the spinal cord. And so we treat those. Sometimes in conjunction, in conjunction with the spine neurosurgery, sometimes alone. Um, venous fistulas or, or, or abnormal communications where there should not be like a little hole in, in some of the of the tissues of the spine, not too complex, not to to complicate the anatomy. <laughs> yeah, there's there's been more awareness that venous conditions or or ail, uh, illnesses that affect the not only the arteries but the veins. That's something that we can diagnose and treat as well. So, Dr. Vela Duarte, after all, this is ESPN 106.3, so we have to talk a little bit of sports. And before we went on the air. You were sharing with me your love of uh, mountain biking, and it's a sport that I've always been so curious about because I've never had the uh, the courage to try it, just go flying down a mountain. And I have to imagine you you kind of start slow and and you work work your way up to some more uh, dangerous feats. But you know, again, just how how did you get into the sport to begin with? Well, I uh, <laughs> so I I started cycling as. As a little kid, you know, as every parent will will buy a, a bicycle for for the <laughs> kids, and I remember those days. Just my my dad, just you know, helping me how to learn. How, you know, every every dad, every every kid will remember that first day where you where you learn how to how to bike. Sure, right. And and you as a mom or as a as a as a as a dad, just just holding the bike. And so then I I just took my bike to the the mountains <laughs> and um, started just exploring trails. Uh, and I was, you know, careful not getting lost. Uh, sure. Of course, after some falls, 
But mountain biking is, is very relaxing. It's very, very relaxing. It's a, it's a great uh, connection with, uh, with nature. Uh, you don't need to go fast. You don't need to go downhill. You can't just cruise the, the trails and, and breathe just uh, pure air. And that's how it started, actually, as, as a very relaxing sport. Then I started just getting more aggressive mm -hmm. and got some, some gear, of course, to protect myself, a full-face helmet and all the shin pads and everything, like sometimes in the, in the bike parks, wearing the whole uh, armor because uh, you go fast and you want to protect yourself from fractures. <laughs> Um, and of course, after after I got into neurointervention, then I was I started riding way more careful. So I, I was not like jumping off ramps or <laughs> or what we call drops or anything like that because I need to protect my hands. And uh, and then the hands are like the you know the the, the therapy for my patients. Uh, but yeah, it's it requires concentration. It um, it requires um, agility, mental agility and dexterity and um, confidence. It, um, it, it requires a lot of training as well, physical and, and, and cardiac training. So it's, cycling is one of the best sports out there. If, if you're a road cyclist or a mountain biker, I love both. Dr. Vela Duarte, I've lived in Florida for about two years now, but of course it didn't take me that long to figure out that uh, it's not the most mountainous region of the country. So how do you scratch sort of that, uh, that mountain biking itch, if you will, living down here in South Florida. Yeah, no, I've been training and trying to stay fit on the on a, one of those stationary bikes. So doing a lot of indoor cycling to um, any, any, any chance I get uh, to go to mountains, I, I will just pack the bike and, and go for a couple of days to, uh, to the mountains. Uh, I, last year I had my, uh, my first visit to Washington State. Uh, I was initially at one of the uh, conferences, mm -hmm. presenting, lecturing. And then a friend of mine flew into Seattle and then we just rented a van and rented some bi bikes. Um, and that's, uh, that's how we do it. Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, Dr. Vela Duarte, again, thank you so, so much for the time. Thank you so, so much for all the information and the insight. It has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. And I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, Cyrus. I really appreciate the invitation. Thank you so much. For more information on Dr. Daniel Veloduarte, visit pbni.com. Again, PBNI stands for Palm Beach Neuroscience Institute, which is located at Village Commons 901 Village Boulevard, Suite 702 in West Palm Beach, Florida. To request an appointment, visit pbni.com or call PBNI at 561-882-6214.